Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me on today's episode of Everything Star Wars. Today, I will be breaking down and analyzing the third chapter of the Book of Boba Fett, The Streets of Mos Espa. Just a friendly warning, there will be spoilers, so proceed with caution. Now, this is another episode directed by Robert Rodriguez, one of the producers, co-producers of the show, and director of three episodes. He directed the first one, and he's directed this one as well. So we got one more left directed by him. There are still four more episodes left in this season, and hopefully there is a season two in the works. I think they definitely need a second season, and it would be very cool. Now, before we jump in, I just want to give a shout out to some of my listeners up in Asheville, the McCanns. Thank you so much for listening. And make sure you all, if you want to uh, get a shout out in this podcast, then just uh, share this podcast around on social media. Eventually it'll get around to me and I'll give you a shout out. So without further ado, let's jump right in to an ad from our sponsor. Now, let's jump right into this amazing episode. Like I said before, this is my second favorite episode, I think. Or I might have said that before, I don't know. If I haven't said that before, this is my second favorite episode. The previous episode, Chapter 2, has been my favorite so far. But it was also a lot longer, so this one was already at a disadvantage. Anyway, let's jump right in. There will be spoilers, again. <laughs> Alright, the episode title, let's talk about that. Okay, it really requires no explanation. It's called The Streets of Mos Espa, and that's because that's where really all the major action happened. It happened on the streets of Mos Espa. Alright, so, the scene did not start off in Mos Espa, though. The opening scene was just on the desert, and there was just one of those Bamar monks skittering around. And that's what, one of this, that's what this episode did so well, was this is just one of the things, one of the just little moments that made it really feel like Star Wars. And that's why I have really liked uh, Rodriguez's directing so far. Because he, I think more than anyone else, has made it feel a lot like Star Wars. The previous episode felt like Star Wars, but it was also really Western. Like, almost too much Western. It wasn't too much, but it was almost too much. But the episode, the first episode, this episode, have really felt like Star Wars. And it's because of little moments like this that, that were so, uh, so prominent and characterized in the first uh, Star Wars, in the original Star Wars movies. And this is just one of the moments that made it feel so, so uh, homey. All right, so it started off then in the palace. 8D8, Jabba's interrogator droid, now Boba Fett's basically his protocol droid. He's explaining the situation. He says they're a power vacuum on Tatooine, filled really by five parties. First, Bib Fortuna, and he was basically just the overseer. He didn't do a lot, but he took up role as Daimyo. Then Mok Shais, he's really in charge. Technically overseen by Bib Fortuna, but he's really the one in charge. All right, then the city is broken into three areas. The central city, the workers district, and the starport. The Trandoshans control the central city, the Aqualish control the workers district, and the Klatuidians control the starport area. So we see that Boba will have his work cut out for him if he wants to rule well. He'll need to figure out how to get these three gangs to work together, but more impor importantly, work for him. So that's going to be something that he's going to have to do. And again, these are the three species the Trandoshans, the Aqualish, and Klaatuidians that we see in the trailer in the dinner scene that uh, Boba says were captains under Jabba. Also, we see the Trandoshan, Doc Strassi, and the Aqualish at the beginning of the first episode bringing him tribute. So, these guys will come back. Alright, then after this, a watermonger comes in. And it turns out that 8D8 can translate at least a couple languages, which would have been helpful in the first episode when they had no idea what the Aqualish was saying. Maybe he just understands what Gamorreans can say because he's been around them so long. I'm not sure. 
but I think he's he's just a great protocol droid, and we'll get into that a little bit later. All right, so this watermonger comes in, and he says, with all due respect, no one respects you, or whatever. So he's clearly trying to manipulate Boba. He heard from somewhere. He must have heard from somewhere. Or he's just, this is just how he manipulates people. Um, that Boba wants to be respected instead of feared. And that's what he starts off with. So he's clearly trying to manipulate Boba. And he's basically just like, there's so much crime in the streets. And it's crazy. There was never crime before. Which really probably isn't true. Because it's not like Jabba would have cared that much. And Bib Fortuna definitely wouldn't do anything. So this just leads, he, he's like, all right, if you help me, I'll triple or double or quadruple or whatever he says my tribute to you. Boba's like, yeah, whatever. So this leads to a scene that shows that Boba isn't the best judge. He doesn't have the best judgment. And he really, he doesn't get economics yet. Not fully, at least. And we'll get into that in a second. But Boba agrees to help this watermonger with the gang problem. All right, so that later that night, he finds the gang. And it's just these street urchins who have these really sweet-looking speeder bikes. They're very flashy, and they just they just look cool. Very out of place, but they're also cool. So Boba tells them that stealing is a crime, if you didn't know. And he tells them to work. And they say there is no work. And this just kind of shows... And then, of course, uh, well, I'll get to that in a second. But then he pays the watermonger less than what the watermonger needs. And all this just shows that Boba has poor judgment in committing to help the monger before hearing the other side. He immediately says, yeah, I'll help you, before he really sees what the other side is. And to me, this harkens back to Luke Skywalker in the Star Wars novel Heir to the Empire, when he's trying to figure out how to be a better Jedi, how to be a peacekeeper. And what this has to do, what this involves doing is being a judge, being uh, an arbiter, and He's being taught by this person who, Luke Skywalker, was being taught by this person who was a, basically a Sith. He was a dark side user who was a terrible judge. He just inflicted his will on other people with force. And Luke just, Luke knew there was something wrong about this, but eventually he figured out how to be a good arbiter. And I think this is something that Boba Fett will have to work through. This also shows ignorance of economics when he demands that the watermonger lower his price. And it just shows, and when he, uh, it shows this when, um, when he says that these people just need to work, even he has no idea that there are no jobs. He doesn't know what's going on in his own city, but he says they need to work. He's almost saying, like Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake when there is no cake. He's saying, just let them work. Okay. But then he says, work for me. So he does, he's, he doesn't know nothing. He's, he's got, he has his own goals and he really has work to do if he wants to rule with respect, because like, I think I think the watermonger was a little bit correct in saying that no one respects him. And that's because he's been on Tatooine for like three days trying to rule. So he does have his work cut out for him. Now, and I'm not just bashing on him. <laughs> I'm pointing out that he has a lot of room to improve and that we'll likely see more of this growth in the future episodes. So I'm not just saying he's a terrible leader. Um, but that's always been a problem for Fett. <laughs> but bashing on him would be saying, just pointing out like all the little flaws and just anything that might not be right. But no, this is, this is just me pointing out that he's a lot of room to improve, and I think we're going to get a lot more of this growth in future episodes, which should be very cool. All right, so the bikers join him. It's a very odd-looking crew, and they're out of place almost. But, I mean, why should they look just like everything else? I don't... Like Tatooine and Mos Espa, it's, it's all very bland, very uh, just sandy, tan, gray. 
And why, like, just like new cars are made to look nice and flashy, so are these bikes. I think it makes a lot of sense. Because no one's going to buy, like, or, I mean, these guys, you're, you'd rather buy a car that looks shiny and flashy if it was, like, the same price as a car that looked run down and dirty just to fit in with everything else. Not necessarily. I mean, I'm sure there are exceptions, but I, I think it makes sense that these kids, these this biker crew, bought these really sick-looking bikes. So I think that makes a lot of sense. All right, so they go back to the palace, and Boba goes to sleep. And there's another flashback. And this flashback's not very long, not nearly as long as the previous episode's flashback. So presumably he has his own bantha now. This might be just another Tuscan's bantha, but he's definitely, he's using it. So he probably hasn't bonded with it or anything since it's an adult bantha. bantha. But, you know, bonding wasn't an essential part of becoming a Tuscan. But he wasn't, he, he's not a Tuscan. So I, I wonder if Banthas can actually do that with non-Tuscans. That'd be interesting to look into. But it is this whole bonding process that new Tuscans are um, put through. So he, uh, he's headed off into the desert. And he gets to this town. It looks like Mos Eisley. Takes him a while to get there. He's on Bantha after all. Banthas aren't the fastest. They're not as fast as a land speeder or anything. Which, yeah, I don't understand why he just doesn't take one of the speeders. I don't think they all got blown up in the in the train fight. I might be wrong about that, but I didn't think they all got blown up. Anyway, he goes to the Pike base for negotiation. He's trying to uh, negotiate for the uh, the protection through the sands. And the Pikes, the Pike leader on Tatooine on the base says, yeah, 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 of course, protection, protection arrangements are all part of operating in the Outer Rim. But he says that he's not going to pay to two parties. And Boba's confused. He's like, uh, I am actually with the Sand People. He's like, no, no, I'm talking about the Kinton Striders. Okay, so that's how this group is. This group isn't the Red Key Raiders. They are coming. I guarantee they are coming. Maybe not in this season. If not in this season, then definitely season two. They've got to come. They're one of the biggest criminal syndicates in the galaxy during the time of the sequels. And I think it'd be perfect to show their rise here. The fall of the Pikes and the rise of the Red Key Raiders is, I think, what this show is going to be about. Okay? And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But that's, that's what I hope this show does, and that's what I think it may very well do. So we learned that the Kinton Striders are demanding protection fees as well. And the, their symbol is a Huddy's K, like we mentioned before, and that's what it stands for, Kinton Striders. Now, if you're wondering what a Kinton Strider is, it's not the species. These guys are Nikto. That's what species they are. But a Kinton Strider is a monster. It's this huge creature, uh, most prominently known for being one of the pieces, one of the playing pieces in a Dejaric chess table, like we see in A New Hope. So just a cool reference there. Now, this really sets up what the flashbacks will be about. He says he'll return to the Pikes when he resolves the issue, pretty much. And this sets up what the flashbacks are going to be about. He returns to the camp, and for some reason, we don't know really why at first, it emphasizes the amount of time it takes to travel through the desert back to camp. And then he returns to find the camp destroyed and the Tuscans slaughtered. So it shows it's showing that it takes a lot of time to travel between the camp and the city to show that the... The Kinton Striders had plenty of time to attack, destroy the city, and then leave before Boba could come back. So, very sad moment. And then the he burns all the bodies, burns the three gaffy sticks, the chief's gaffy stick, another gaffy stick that I would I think belongs to the elite Tuscan's gaffy stick, the elite Tuscan warrior, and then the youngling's gaffy stick. So. Now his drive is even stronger to defeat the Kintons. He was, we saw him pretty much berserking before when he fought them the first time. I think now it's going to be even stronger. So 
If we thought we were going to learn more about the Tuscans and their way of life, well, we aren't. Not with this group, at least. But I don't think not. I don't think at all. I think that uh, we're not going to really get more Tuscans in the show. Um, well, I, I can't say that. I just don't think they're going to be as emphasized as they have been in the first two episodes. So that was sad. All right. Then Santon shows up. We knew this would happen. I was hoping it'd be in a different fashion, but hey, I'll take what I can get. This was an awesome fight. Kersantan throws Boba out of his Bakta tank, and, you know, this is a reference, he attacks Boba in his sleep, and remember, the, uh, the male twin said to Boba Fett, sleep lately, so he meant that quite literally. Then this crazy brawl ensues, and really, this doesn't show Boba's weakness. It highlights his resilience and sheer toughness. He fights fist to fist with Black Kersantan, and remember, Black Kersantan's fists are made out of metal. So this is very impressive that Boba is able to do this. It's a very intense fight, and he comes close. He comes very close to dying. And the battle points out two things: the strength of Boba, and the worth of the bikers. Again, strength of Boba, because he is able to live against going hand to hand with Black Kersantan. He's not able to use any of his weapons except his gaffy stick. So none of his really powerful weapons, like his rocket launcher or even a blaster. And then it shows the worth of the bikers. Because they come in, and they save him, pretty much. They buy him time, at least. And they force him to flee. They force Kersantan to flee, and eventually trapping him in Jabba's dungeon. Boba's dungeon now. And they capture him in the Rancor pit. Fennec drops the trap door, and then uh, knifes him in there, basically. And they trap him in the Rancor pit, because he's just too tough to take down. <laughs> Which is crazy. It's a, really, it's a testament to him. And... Again, this doesn't show Boba's weakness. He's gone toe-to-toe with a Wookiee before. But this was when he was fully armored and not in his sleep. He, he actually he fought Chewbacca at one point, Boba did. And he'd killed other Wookiees before. Those were the braids that he wears around his shoulder. He wears Wookiee braids around his shoulder. So he's fought Wookiees before. So really, this is, this is Black Kersantan. He's the best fighter. He's easily the best fighter in the Outer Rim. Like, I don't think anyone could come close to like fighting him and uh, or come close to beating him in any kind of combat. So it's impressive that Boba Fett can uh, fight him and live. All right. So then the next day they're basically having breakfast. There's this delicious looking meal, which I think is like, hinting at the highly anticipated dinner scene that the trailer hinted at so much. And then Boba's just saying, I need to respond, send a message. And Fennec's just like, no, you captured black Kersantan. You, you need to wait for them to show their hand. He's like, no, 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 that's not a good idea. And then, He's, you know, he's still thinking like a bounty hunter. There's some overlap, of course, in the way that a bounty hunter and a crime lord should think. But he needs to find the balance. He's still thinking, I've been wronged. I need to take revenge. Uh, someone's damaged my reputation. You know, like we talked about in uh, the Boba Fett career episode. How that one time when he had his reputation damaged, he swore revenge on the person who uh, uh, destroyed his reputation or not even destroyed it, but just uh, kind of hurt it. So he just, he just needs to find the balance between the way a crime lord thinks and a bounty hunter thinks. Again, the balance between fear and respect. There's a fine line between being feared and being respected. So he's trying to walk that line. Then 88 enters. And what I like is that they're doing this like a C-3PO type character with this guy. And it, he's just the perfect counterpart. You know, like Luke Skywalker and Han Well, okay, here's what it really is. Han Solo has C-3PO to uh, basically interrupt anything he does. And now Boba Fett has 88 to... Uh, come in and just interrupt whatever he's doing. So I, th- I think it's a perfect counterpart. And 88 informs Boba that the twins have arrived with a gift. 
So the twins, Boba goes outside and they apologize for sending Kersantin to kill you. For uh, sending Kersantin to kill him. And the, the female twin, she's like, we sent Kersantin to kill you. And then the male says, we're sorry. So it's just this really, you know, somewhat insincere, somewhat let's just get out of here. Because they informed Fed of another syndicate that the mayor promised to give uh, Boba's position to them. So they're out. They don't want to go toe-to-toe with this other, other syndicate. And they leave after giving a gift, a rancor, a juvenile rancor, which, you know, this kind of shows uh, that they're leaving. This shows that the previous episode was a fake-out, kind of, and it just showed that, okay, the twins are here. We kind of thought they were going somewhere with this, but now they're leaving. And maybe this is a double fake-out. Maybe the twins are going to be back after Boba and the mysterious other syndicate uh, kind of duke it out and weaken each other out. Uh, like they mentioned, maybe they just want them to uh, weaken themselves out. But I don't know. I think they're gone. Because, yeah, I think they're gone. We'll, we'll, we might talk about that later. All right, so two things we get from this conversation, really. Boba is trying to take control of the conversation. He's saying, like, you know, uh, you sent Crescenta to kill me. They're like, yep, 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 sorry about that. And they're like, we're going to leave. And he's like, all right, um, uh, how about you... How about you leave Tatooine? We call it even. And they're like, uh, yeah, that's what we're doing. We're gone. You should do the same. He's like, um, yes, yes, good, good. All right, so you'll leave and never come back, and we'll call it a truce. And they're like, yep, see you later. And he's like, but only if, and they're like, and they're, and they're, they're gone. So he just can't seem to do it. He's trying to take control like in the mayor's court the first time, and he just can't seem to do it also like in the mayor's court. So it, he, he's, he, the, you know, the huts carry out what they went there to do, and they barely pay him any attention apart from warning him to leave. So he's just, he's got to work on his negotiation abilities. He's got to work on uh, establishing a presence on Tatooine that makes him worth listening to. And he's just got to set him up. He's got to set himself up as someone bigger than who he is. So he won't really have a good conversation. He won't get anything out of negotiations if he keeps this up. So either the huts have gotten very weak or the other syndicate, which we later find out is the Pikes, really no surprise there, uh, has become very strong. But the thing is, neither of these groups last more than 20 or so years after this. 20 or so years after this is when pretty much all the syndicates around during the time of the Empire are gone. And they're replaced with, or if not gone, then just out of power. And they're replaced with all these newer syndicates. Kanja Club, Guavian Death Gang, Red Key Raiders, Droid Gatra, and so on. Um... So they're they're gone. So it doesn't it won't really matter. Like I was saying before, I think this show is going to highlight the Pikes. Uh, they're they're losing their power, and the Red Key Raiders gaining their power. So Hutts are out of the picture for now, probably rest of the season, and pretty much makes my theory in my previous episode, my uh, theory week two, pretty much in- inconsequential. It was about how they would have to ask permission to uh, to kill the Huts. So pretty much worthless now, unless it comes unless it comes around later somehow. But it was a cool scene. Boba accepts the gifts, frees Kersantin, and then tries to uh, schedule a, a meeting with the mayor. So meanwhile, he goes to examine his new pet, and he's very tender to the majestic beast, which is not showing his weakness. Instead, it's just showing he's not a monster. He doesn't. He's not cruel to animals, and. Really, I think the Rancor embodies who he wants to be, and he treats it as such. He treats the beast with respect. He wants to be this huge uh, force for whatever on Tatooine. He wants to be this huge power on Tatooine. Very, uh, very powerful, very dangerous, but really only if provoked. He doesn't want to just go around killing people. 
He wants to be like the Rancor, only, you know, docile or, you know, respected un until provoked. And then that's when he would attack. So the Rancor embodies who he wants to be. And he treats it as such. He treats it with respect. He doesn't treat it with fear. He, doesn't, he also doesn't treat it with hate. So he treats it with respect. And he's very tender. Then, he, then uh, the Beastmaster, who, I can't remember the guy's name, but this actor has been in like pretty much every movie that Robert Rodriguez has directed. So it was almost inevitable that he would be in here too. So that was just, it's very funny. He, he's, seriously, in like more than half of the movies Robert Rodriguez directed. So... Just a great cameo from him. And I, I think he's a great Beastmaster. He seems a little bit suspicious, but I don't think anything's going to come of that. I think that it's a little ridiculous if everyone was out to get Boba. I don't think that would make much sense. But, you know, he's someone to keep an eye on. I don't think he'll be any trouble, but, you know, you can never be too sure. So he says that the Witches of Dathomir even ride Rancors, or have even ridden Rancors. Which, yeah, that's true, I think, because uh, Dathomir is known as the Rancor planet. And the, the witches of Dathomir are, of course, the Night Sisters. We see them in the Clone Wars a lot. And then Boba says he's ridden creatures ten times this size because he wants to ride it. He says he wants to ride it. The Beastmaster's kind of taken aback, but he's like, sure, sure. And because Boba says he's ridden creatures ten times that size. And this is a reference to the Star Wars Holiday Special, as far as we know, because in that special, um, in one of the, one of the best stories, uh, The Faithful Wookiee, uh, Boba, the, this is the first time Boba Fett's introduced to Star Wars. So he's riding this huge creature, this like dinosaur, like water dinosaur. And it is, it's 10 times the size of our Rancor pretty much. It's, it's huge, but he's riding it. So I think that's, this, this is just a reference to that. Uh, unless they explain that in some other canon, which they haven't yet. So unless they explain that somewhere else soon, then, I mean, this is the best we're going to get is a reference to the Star Wars holiday special, which is just very funny. So then the bonding begins. It's very cool that he explains, uh, the Beastmaster explains all this stuff about a Rancor we, we never really know about uh, until now. So it's very cool about the whole bonding thing and imprinting on their, the first person they see, how they're very loyal to their masters, all this. It's very cool. And I'm glad that we get to see more of this Rancor because we're getting a lot more information about Tatooine, about uh, Tuskens, and now about the Rancors, which is very cool because this is all stuff that... Uh, it's always very one-sided Star Wars. Like, the Rancor is always feared. You never want to go up against a Rancor. Rancors are always kind of the bad guys, just like Tuscans. But now, they are they're much more uh, personal, which is nice. I like that they're doing that with all this. And they're giving us more information at the same time. So, this is very Sand Person-esque. Like, very Sand Person-esque. Because they would always bond with their Banthas, like I was just talking about before. And in my uh, Sand Person episode, my Tuscan episode, they would bond, Tuscans and Banthas would bond, basically as they became adults. And now, Boba and this Rancor are bonding. So this is very Sand Person-esque, but on a whole other level. Because this is, a, this is a Rancor we're talking about. This is a creature that could grow, you know, five times, ten times the size of a Bantha at, at, at adulthood. So this could be very cool. And, yeah, it's just, it's, he's definitely going to be able to ride it, I think, in this show. And it's going to be awesome when he does. So then 8D8 interrupts. Again, very C-3PO-esque. <laughs> it's very... Uh, just great. He kind of just pops out from behind the Rancor, and uh, he says that the mayor is busy for the next 20 days at least. Of course, what does Boba Fett do? But he goes to see the mayor anyway. And the biker follows, and he's getting, it's cool, it's, he's getting a larger group each time he goes down uh, the streets of Mos Espa. First it was 
him and Fennec, and then him and Fennec and the Gamorrean guards, now him and Fennec and the bikers. So his family, quote-unquote family, is growing. And this harkens back to a reference that, uh, or this is a reference to what Fennec said uh, at their breakfast that morning or whatever. She said, now he's the head of a family, and he needs, you know, he needs to start acting like one. He needs to start uh, really taking up this mantle. So he, his family is growing, and that's what's cool. And I think, you know, eventually, he, Bobo will uh, ride the Rancor and through the streets, probably as he meets the mayor for the last time, for a true embodiment of Daimyo. Because really, this each time his group grows, it's representing his progress as Daimyo. Uh, so not, not much now, but it's evident. He, he doesn't have a lot of growth now. He only has these, uh, these bikers pretty much on his side now, but, uh, there it, it's growing. So his, his, he's becoming more of a daimyo. He's, he's accepting, embracing his role more now. And eventually he's going to ride the rancor through the streets and it's going to be an awesome scene. I think, uh, this is, you know, I don't know for sure, but I think this is what's going to happen. And it's going to be this awesome confrontation. It's going to be this huge, intense scene, and it's going to be really awesome to see. So I'm very excited for that. It, he's going to be, you know, true embodiment of the daimyo, the daimyo authority, and it's just going to be completely epic. So very excited. Anyway, he gets to the town hall, and the major domo who's there is really extra skittish. He's like, ah, oh, yes, I'm the mayor. Uh, he is... Um, He's not available. He has many other meetings and arrangements and appointments. And then after, you know, much, you know, back and forth, he locks himself in the room, in the throne room, and Boba and Fennec pursue. They break open the lock, get in there, but he's gone. And this leads to a speeder chase outside. Once again, the gang, the bikers, prove their worth, this time tenfold. I mean, they, they fought well against Kersantan, but no one can fight as good as Kersantan. Not even five bikers. So it's just, now we get, you know, this is really proving their worth. We get the cool, very cool speeder chase. This is the one from the trailer. We didn't see who it was before. We couldn't see who it was they were chasing. Or we, and we didn't know who these people were. But now we do. It's a very cool chasing. And it shows that these bikers know what they're doing. Since the person who's being chased pretty much always has an advantage. Because they're the one who dictates where the chase leads. And, um... If you're being chased, you don't know which way they're, the person you're chasing is going to turn. You don't know what maneuvers they're going to execute. So it's up to you to stay on their trail. And the person who's being chased also just has this primal urge just to not be captured. And that can drive them a lot faster, if necessary, than the person chasing. So the bikers, they succeed after a very long chase. Uh, you know, all the classic stuff. They have stuff like uh, driving on walls and stuff, driving on top of roofs, crashing through uh, tables, uh, destroying a lot of stuff, a lot of collateral damage. And then more just classic scenes, Star Wars scenes with like droids just like running out of the way and uh, hunkering down, pit droids hunkering down, all this kind of good stuff that makes it feel like Star Wars. And it's a speeder chase. It's so cool. And it's not like it's an air speeder chase or anything like that where they're like flying, but it's just this chase through the streets. It's like a car chase, but through the streets. And it, it's just very cool. Uh, and there's a lot of collateral damage, and I hope it comes into play. Whenever there's a lot of collateral damage, like in any movie, it, it pretty much never comes into play. And it's always just there for, you know, for action, for the action's sake. But I hope it comes into play. I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't, and it was just ignored like it usually is. But I also wouldn't be surprised if it did come into play. Like, uh, the people 
of Mos Espa start blaming Boba for what happened. Because they basically like wrecked their farmer's market, whatever it was, and destroyed a bunch of other stuff. They destroyed a painting by Ralph McQuarrie. That was what that painting of Jabba the Hutt was. It was one of the concept arts uh, for what Jabba the Hutt and his throne room would have looked like. So they ran through that. Uh, it's a good thing that guy crashed after that. He deserved to crash after wrecking that priceless piece of art. And uh, so I hope that collateral damage comes into play. And that people are, like, blaming Boba for this or something. I don't know. That's just something to look out for. Don't be surprised if this pops up. But anyway, the Major Domo, he's, he's cornered. He's captured. And he reveals that the mayor is working with the Pikes. He's with the Pikes. The mayor is working with the Pikes. So then, because, you know, Boba Fett just flies down with his jetpack, which is just a very cool scene. Because, you know, you first get this biker chick. She's, like, walking up to him. And then Boba just drops down right in front of her, right in front of the Major Domo. And he's like, where's the mayor? He's like, he's with the Pikes. So then we get the scene of this we get the shot of the Starliner, the big cruiser flying over Mos Espa to the starport area, which again is controlled by the Klaatuidians. And the pikes get out, just a very ominous, intense scene. They're all walking out, very scary. And the biker, he's 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 very chill. He just he's sitting on his bike, kind of adjusts his mirror to see the pikes better, and then goes off to warn Boba and Fennec. And Fennec says, They're coming for war. These are only the first wave. We get that line from the trailer, and then Boba Fett saying, Then we'll be ready. And this definitely sets up the dinner scene. He's going to be asking uh, Jabba's captains to meet with him and then join him eventually. And this scene and the scene at the beginning of the episode, right? Because it harkens back to AD8 informing him of the, uh, the, the captains, the gangsters, the families, the three families, the Klaatuidians, Aqualotian, uh, Trandoshans. So that was this episode. That's how this episode ended. Then we'll be ready. And... Really sets up the next episode very well. I think that undoubtedly we will get the dinner scene. Boba needs an army, and the best way to do it is by getting these three families to work for him. Doc Strassi's family, the Klaatuidians, and then the Aqualish. So, I mean, I, I pretty much bet anything that the next episode will have this dinner scene. Because now we're really in full swing. We know who Boba's up against for sure. It would be, I think, unwise for them to do another fake-out because that's all they've done so far. And that's fine. For the first few episodes, that's fine. The intro, that's setting up Boba's, Boba's situation, setting up the context. They did that very well. Second episode, set up his background. Set up more of his background, how he became a Tuscan, and then this fake out with the huts. And that's cool. All right, now episode three really is getting into the nitty-gritty stuff of what he's going to have to do to survive and keep his position, which is what he wants to do. So, undoubtedly, the dinner scene's coming next. And because Boba needs an army, he, he can't go up against the Pikes by himself. And he really doesn't have the Tusken Raiders anymore. They might come into play. That'd be very cool. It'd be incredibly awesome if he got them to work for him again, or if he just teamed up with them. Not necessarily that, but uh, made an alliance with them, made an alliance with the Tuscans to fight against the Pikes. That'd be very cool. But I think that would definitely come in a lot later in the season. So not going to happen anytime soon. Um, but I think it's going to focus more on the backstory than the main story, how Boba Fett's going to basically just beat up all the Kinton Striders again. And because, uh, you know, there's still a lot of backstory we've got to cover, including how he meets Fennec, how he uh, and then and the, how he goes back to Jabba's palace and gets his ship and all that. So we got a lot of work to do. We got a lot of ground to cover in the uh, backstory area. And by we, I mean Lucasfilm. But, you know, it's going to be great, I think. And. This episode, the next episode, will probably not involve the mayor of the Pikes. It's going to focus on Boba Fett and the Jabba's captains. That's just my theories for the next episode. So, 
Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you're enjoying the book of Boba Fett as much as I am. It is a thoroughly awesome show. And if you are enjoying this episode or enjoying the book of Boba Fett, make sure to send me an email. Let me know what you think. Let me know your theories or your questions or your episode suggestions and whatever. And, you know, on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, be sure to like and subscribe. Or if not like, then leave a five-star review. It's very helpful, I promise. And hit that notification button so you can be alerted when new episodes come out because definitely every Tuesday and Thursday, but you never know when else there might be a bonus episode. Like next Wednesday, I'm going to be doing a Crimson Rain episode where I read through the first issue of the comic Crimson Rain, issue one. So stay tuned for that. And until next time, may the force be with you.